Ready? Welcome to Rhythm and Pixels, a video game music podcast. This is Podcast World 23, Episode 5. And we are your hosts. My name is Rob Nichols. And I'm drinking a soda. Mm. Every week we hang out and listen to great video game music from all consoles and all generations. Um, and yes, Purnell, um, I started rewatching Perfect Strangers on Hulu. <laughs> so that's what triggered. Okay, such a random wow. occurrence there. It was so weird. It, it was, uh, I think they referenced the year in one of the episodes. It was 1985. 1985 or 1984. It might have been earlier. It, I think, no, I don't think it would have been earlier because I remember I was old enough. I was a young as the Dickens, mind you. But I was for, old enough to at least remember yeah. the shows running. Like, I remember mm-hmm. certain plot points and stuff. So it would have been like at least 86. Yeah, it ran for something. eight seasons. That's why. Eight seasons. It's amazing. It's amazing, ah. like, how much, like, all of these, like, the, the, all the music cues like there's more than just like normal like like um like you know there's music like there's little like there's little saxophone solos and stuff they always came back like like from the commercial breaks or like when yeah, they I used like, to love oh. that when they, they'd announce like a dramatic thing like yeah I'm moving back to me post and then cousin Larry's face lights up and I confuse like oh, why and then the music goes din, din, like cousin fuse <laughs> and it comes back and it's like din, din. it's like ready to go it's like the, this they do even more than that. Like when they're doing like a little, uh, when they're doing like a little moral, like morality lesson at the end, or like they're talking at the end and they're making up or being friendly with each other. It plays even more music. Like there's extra music in, in the show. It's really interesting. And um, I don't know, like this 1980s Chicago is, is kind of cool. Like there's some kind of weird nostalgia about that era and about that world that I just, it, it only existed in my imagination as a child, you know? Oh yeah. Like, uh, Honestly, all of those like shows to me are quite amazing in their own way. Mm-hmm. The just the idea of how eighties and nineties sitcoms were formatted, and I guess technically that could probably be done for earlier ones too, but we don't talk about them. <laughs> um, how again, like every show had a theme song, like it, and your theme song had to be pop, and they were professionally written. Oh yeah, theme song. Dude, this one is perfect. The Perfect Strangers theme song is. In the name, it's perfect. Yeah, and they were like B Money songs, and that they actually had long versions. Like, yeah, the show would always play like the abridged, but there was actually a long version of so many of the songs. Where it's like we wrote a full song, but we had to then cut it back to fit a sitcom's opening length. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get all the music that plays during the show. You had the canned laughter, which I know a lot of people hate canned laughter, but honestly, there's a certain charm to it too. Like, depending on the show, like. It usually comes up with Big Bang Theory. There's always that video where it's like Big Bang Theory without the without the laughter is stupid. I mean, but, it helps if the jokes are funny. I feel like a lot of Big Bang Theory is like, "Hey, look at these inept nerds," and I'm like, "Hey, that hurts." Well, but that's, <laughs> but, but, and that's the thing, though. I don't, I don't, I agree with that. Yeah. But the reason why that, that that whole remove the can laughter thing started because of Big Bang or with Big Bang Theory because of that perception. But uh-huh, yeah. I would not be surprised if someone did that with other sitcoms that we used to watch yeah, and saw, have the exact I, same result. I saw them with but, Seinfeld. Yeah. But in that regard, though, Seinfeld I still without a laugh track is just a bunch of people being jerks. <laughs> yeah. 
but in that regard, it might be just as funny because again, like that's what Always Sunny is. It's a more extreme Seinfeld. Yeah. There's no laugh tracks there, and I definitely laugh. Mm. In fact, they actually did an episode that was in all for in all intents and purposes, it was like mocking Seinfeld. <laughs> oh, <that laughs> we was like, we got to start canned laughter here. <laughs> I um, need to watch. I should, I should probably go back and watch some more. They, of actually, that. they actually did an episode where, for a brief moment, they re they all recast, they reenacted the entire. Uh, Scene like the the contest. Here. I'm not going to go into the specific. Oh right, we shouldn't. But yeah, but the contest. <laughs> yeah, but they actually recast. They all played characters from Seinfeld and redid that. Like one of the main scenes from that episode, huh. and it was actually really cool. Hmm. Um, but yeah, honestly, I feel like can laughter is an enjoyable thing, depending on the show. Like hmm. it adds a little bit of something to it. And also, like for example, like Married with Children was a show back in the '80s. And they went overboard with the can laughter. They went can laughter. They had whoops and woos. Oh yeah, and weird random cheers that. And today, it would just in yeah. today's shows, it would make no sense to do. It. But with that show, mm -hmm. that was a large part of the charm. Like Al would flush a toilet. Yeah, and they would go nuts. Yeah! I feel like they had a, they had an audience, and they just got them real drunk. Um, do you remember like it was it early '90s when uh, the UPN uh, network? was first released and it like was first like put on air and it was all like like real like really weird sitcoms and like kind of like the hard urban edgy comedy but like all of they were the, going for it. i almost want to say that it actually stood for like no nah, i don't think no 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 it was like he was like universal something but um yeah but like but no i do remember that that was like malcolm and eddie mm -hmm. and um i think there was a show called homeboys in space there, there was. was. Yeah. It was terrible. It ran. For, I think it ran for longer than Voyager. Voyager, Star Trek Voyager, was with the first one of the first shows on the network. But Malcolm and Eddie was actually pretty decent. Though. I actually was Absolutely. okay with that. Uh, Shasta, for Shasta McNasty. McNasty. I don't remember that. <laughs> two two uh, was it the uh, two guys two two guys in a pizza place or two girls in a pizza place? I don't know. What network was that on UPN? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot. Look, of it. <laughs> I like I blocked that one out. <laughs> anyway, Malcolm Eddie was where I liked because of Malcolm Jamal Warner. I um, love Malcolm Jamal Warner. Yeah, I liked him a lot, but uh, I I don't remember. Oh, Honestly, the Wayans Brothers was on UPN. It was that when no, I no, first no, heard no, that. No, that was, no, that was the, unless that's no yes, right? Because UPN became the WB. So yeah, 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 it was because I remember um, when I first heard that theme song. I did not stop laughing. Like just seeing them do the um, oh the whole dance. Like, the whole, this, give me quick. a high five. <laughs> They stopped and looked at like, the heck this is stupid. And they just punched the guy yeah. and they went on. Oh my god, it was so funny. So so but, funny. But like it's a I ultimately just sitcoms in general, like they've changed a lot over the years. Um whether based on like whether what they what content they could have, what tricks they use to man, I, I I'm not gonna I say it sounds mean, but it's not really it's just a general statement like to manipulate the audience to project the emotions they wanted them to have because that's literally what happens with TV. Um, and if you don't believe me, try watching a show that has that sappy sad news that would play like <clears throat> Full House well, where every like time they, yeah. kids get in trouble and they get a lesson taught, they have yeah. the sappy music and you kind of start feeling it too because the music's playing. That means you got to feel something now. They brought back it's some like, of the stuff on Netflix. There's the, there's the Full House reboot. There's the... What's that one? Yeah, but does Fuller House use the music cues? I think they do. I started watching some of it. Then I realized I never liked Full House when it was on the air. Why should I like the reboot now? Um, well, that, well, that's <laughs> odd taken in and of itself. There's a there was like TV back in the day. I thought I was TV was different. <laughs> um, Let me tell you something about television back in my day. 
we true. like to laugh at things. Well, we, well, we still do, but it's just uh, now. If you want to watch a show, you just boot it up on whatever streaming service has it. You start it up, mm-hmm. watch it whenever and you're done. Back in the day, though, TV was an event. Yeah. Uh, at a certain time, mm-hmm. people sat down, and if you were a family, you sat down and fought over the remote. And uh, you ultimately decided on a channel. You would watch shows. Yeah, often you would stay on that channel for the whole night. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where Full House comes in. Because I watched Family Matters. I liked Family oh. Matters. But I also didn't have much to do before or after Family Matters. So what I would do is I would sit down on Friday night because TGIF was a thing. And I would just start it and just let it run. I wasn't particularly jazzed by Full House. But by virtue of it being on TGIF, I became invested in it. Mm. Like I wanted mm. to know what would, would, would DJ get in, would DJ fall, fall for peer pressure and start doing drugs at the nightclub? Would Stephanie steal her dad's car to go to the wacky concert with her friends? Fingers crossed. Yeah, I, no fingers, no cross. I want DJ to be a good kid. Um, <laughs> How will rude. Uncle Joey finally get that great cartoon contract? You know, all that stuff suddenly mattered, despite the fact that. Quite frankly, I did not like the show, but I it's like I didn't like it, but I was entertained mm. by it because it was on at the time. Um, then Full House would come on. I was good for that. And then like Step by Step would come on mm. and I'd watch that. And I, was I really, into, uh, I was really the, into dinosaurs. I, I like the big puppets. Puppets. Oh, dinosaurs was great, yeah. especially when you look between the lines. They they ran through some interesting topics on that show. They dealt with racism. They dealt with pollution. Oh, the, between the lines, with, nothing. Like, they shoved that down your throat, man. And I'm fine <laughs> with it. I mean, I like when shows go that mile to say, "Here's how we address this topic." They don't. A lot of people will say they don't like when shows do that because they're telling you how to think. In my eyes, I feel like it's more about. Well, some people might be that, but I like the idea of the nuance. Like they show you a way, they show you a dynamic based on how they perceive it in this situation. And then it's up to the viewer to go, huh, I can see that. Or, but that's kind of nuance. You could have, what if this happened instead? Would Earl still have done this? You know, like it's something like, like it was that whole episode about when like the the boss like he had that little friend that he found that was technically supposed to be prey. He's supposed to have eaten it, but instead they became friends. And then his boss ate his friend because the food chain denotes he's food. And the dinosaurs yes. food. I love that. And it crushed Earl because he befriended his food. And the food chain said, I don't give two craps. I'm going to eat your friend. Or rather, the food chain being represented by his boss at work. No, I remember um, um, uh, um, the uh, Earl's wife. I can't remember her name, but she her friend around the way was a brontosaurus. And I think her name was Fran. Fran, yeah, and like in like and and um and she was she was vegetarian and of course they're meat eaters and at one point like their friendship had to break. Um, they even did a two parts uh, uh series. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a multiple episode series on the Gulf War, but instead, really, yeah, I'm reading it now. I remember it because it was so it was so strange. But um, it was '92, and instead of oil, the dinosaurs were fighting over pistachio nuts. And so the, 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 it was the nation of dinosaurs who walk normally against the four-leggers. That's what it was. Wow. And because the brontosaurus was a four-legged dinosaur, they... They, uh, they had they, to stop being friends. Already got in a fight. They let it divide them. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. And, then, and of course, you know, the series finale, right? Oh, yeah. They all, <laughs> they all go extinct. 
they pretty much were preparing to go extinct. It's like it starts snowing. Like I hope this snow lets up soon, and of course it doesn't. So it's a um, man. It was a good friggin' show though. Like the people ran. It was originally got got his viewers by the whole not the mama bit. But, oh you know, yeah, the show itself was great. Every show had to have like a little cute character with a with a catchphrase. But this this is this is a great like um, a segue. This was a pre episode. <laughs> I know, right? Pre episode ramble. <laughs> Well, this is good. This is a good segue into our uh, topic today, um, which I think was a, a suggestion by our Patreon member, The Last Recon. I think sure. a lot of our upcoming topics may be that because he just hits us with some good snowball topics. Yeah, there are some really good ideas, but this is a, a we call it rental reflections. So this is a time, again, in the 90s, early 90s, early 80s. Where late, no, no, late eighties. I wasn't written engaged in the early eighties. Right, back around the sixties. No, yeah. Um, where you can go to a store to rent video cassettes that had movies on them, and then on the side of the store were also cartridges that you could rent, so you could try them before Love you. Love how buy you caught yourself on that, like video cassettes that you could rent. But you tell, I guess you could. Now I think about it. No, you're. I thought. Crap! You were talking about both VHS but, tapes and video games. But it was the '90s, so we called all of our cartridges tapes. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we all did. We all, we didn't, didn't everybody I do that? Carts. You ever, you ever like, 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 you get older and you realize like that one thing your family did was actually really weird. <laughs> no, my, no, my dad called them tapes. <laughs> oh, did he? Okay, I always good. called them carts. Carts. That's because like that's what they called them in the Nintendo Power, didn't they? Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. I don't know what they call them now, but I would not be surprised they called them carts. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be... Because they were cartridges, so... Yeah, they're car- cartridges. Car- cartridges. Um, so yeah, today is all going to be about games that we played, or we rented, I guess. I mean, we have some kind of memories attached to renting these games, and I have, just, a, I have a few. I have more than a few. I, I had to narrow it down. Wow. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Um, so. I had a couple that I actually intentionally vetoed because I was like, I don't want to bring that up on the show, but I may even just like play a song and then talk about a different game, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't go any, I didn't go CD based on anything um, because I stopped, I stopped renting games after the Genesis. That makes sense. Cause after the Genesis was 32 bit and by then you had a job. Yeah. You just I, yeah. Or I wasn't, yeah, I really wasn't playing. I was honestly, wasn't playing a lot of games for a long time. Um, until yeah, and the PlayStation. Even with the PlayStation, yeah, I was either buying games or people were just kind of ripping them for me. Um, kids, kids, don't pirate, don't pirate, don't copy that floppy. Yarg, yarg. Um, but let's start with you. This is an odd episode, so um, okay. This will be your first well, track. My first track will come from a game that may be a little on the unexpected side, but I definitely used to rent this game. Okay, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Cyber Stadium Base Wars. Oh, um, for the NES. This is the part shop theme composed by Tomoko Sumiyama and Shige Masa Matsuo. I gotta tell you, I think we're gonna have a lot of crossovers. Like, because I you remember- have Cyber Base Wars too. Oh, I love Base Wars, man. Okay, let's 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 listen.
Welcome back. You are listening to the part shop theme from the game Space Wars. I used to call it Cyber Base Wars, but apparently the game's technical term is Cyber Stadium Series Base Wars. <laughs> Meh, it's Cyber Base Wars. Composed by Tomoko Sumiyama and Shige Masa Matsuo. Hmm. This was me renting a game originally brought on by the fact that I generally did not like sports games growing up. Like, did not like yeah, them at all. But I'm not surprised this one's on your list, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. This was me trying to find a sports game that I could actually appreciate. And the fact that it involved robots. Customizable robots. Customizable yeah. robots was just like, well, this could be something. So cool. Let's take a crack at this. I want to see what's going on. And sure enough, took it home. My brother and I would play it together because, again, sports games were his cup of tea, mm. not mine. Mm-hmm. But finding a sports game that I could like, that he would play, that was a beautiful thing. That and cool. unlike Double Dribble, it wasn't a massacre. So <laughs> I asked he could hold my own in Cyber Base Wars because well, it wasn't yeah. just about baseball. It was also about outfitting your bots with equipment so that when a fight would break out, you'd have a laser sword trump their handgun. Well, not just that. Like you, you would um, you would upgrade their um, their engines to go faster. You would upgrade like their catching like apparatus so they could so your AI um, players could catch better. Like you could do so much in this game. It was really fascinating. Yeah, like the like there was like the different like body parts, like the yeah. wheel or like the hover apparatus. Oh, that's and, right. Like, treads, that so cool. Treads, like it was just. But then, like, it was um, a good game. you would run the bases, but I think it was like you, you got into a fight for every base that you got to, or if it, if the base was contested, if like if the guy was there with the ball. That's uh, when the fight would break. That's out. when the fight would break out, and then it would turn into like a fighting game, and you just mash buttons and try to hit each other. Now I remember there was a code that you can put into the game. I had to look it up. Um, so, uh, there is, um, I think 12 different teams you can choose from, or you can put in like an edit, like you put in your own name and then create your own roster of characters. So if you're, if you remember, there's like, there's like a set team you can choose from. And then, um, and then all of the characters, all the robots are ready to play, or you can do an edit your own team and you start with like so many points and you can create your own team, which took a long time, but you can do it. But if you if you called your team Terminator, then every single player on your team had a laser sword. Man, your memory is better than me. Yeah. At I thought that it was something else. Cool. I thought it was like Hawaii or something like that. But no, it was uh, it was Terminator. I remember it was just like I think we I, we I, we found it by accident because we were like, oh, we're the Terminators, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like fail. But this is this is like, a really cool game. We this is one that like, we should we should go back and play together. It's pretty I would cool. Do that. I would do that as long as I win. <laughs> you, you probably will. <laughs> I don't know. I think it would be a pretty even match there. We both haven't played it in ages, but yeah. we both used to play it. And I honestly think it would be a pretty funny little thing to run. That, that could be a live stream right the heck yeah. there. Now, my like, brother got really into like Mutant League football, Mutant League hockey. That was like Anthony. My friend Anthony used to love Mutant oh. League, the mutant stuff. So it makes me wonder now. I wonder what happened to the reboot of that. Because I went to E3 I think they did a few reboot, years right? back. Yeah, when I went to E3 a few years back, I got roped into having, like, well, I was supposed to have written an expose on Mutant League, a preview for Mutant League football, but I did not. I, I admit that was me dropping the ball on my E3 Ooh. writer responsibilities, but I did play it there, and I wasn't quite feeling it. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I like I like games like that, though. I like when games do, like, take a sport, yeah, make do, like, some fantasy elements in there, make it more about wacky stuff and added elements than just traditional. Here are the sports rules. Um, 
Because that's what makes it a video game. That's what makes it stand out. Like, this isn't just football. This is a football with people who can be broken apart, yeah. put spikes on the field. Oh, you can um, you can bribe the you can bribe the ref so that you can do illegal moves. And yeah, then, like, then if the other if the other team, if your opponent finds out that you're bribing the ref, you can you can set up a play that kills the referee. <laughs> but if you kill them without the bribe, then you get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. I, guess, I used to I used to lose all the time because all I wanted to do was kill the ref because I thought that was really funny. <laughs> Yeah, but like, see, to me, those are those are sports games that I love. Mm-hmm. So every year we get like a rehash of Madden or a new NBA. I see. Have we been getting NBA lives? I guess we have still. But um, we get those. But we need more fantasy sports. Like that's what draws Purnell in. Mm-hmm. Mario Golf was awesome for that. I was like, it was literally golf. <laughs> but Mario. Have you gotten so, into? Like, someone uh, might go, why is those whistles special there? But like the Mario mm-hmm. element sold it to me. And then they eventually finally got wild. I was like, you know, here's a course where you have a pipe. You can hit the ball to the pipe, and it comes out somewhere else on the field. Well, what about um, what about uh, Rocket League? That seems that that that's a weird fantasy sport thing. Rocket League is pretty cool. I just I'm abysmal at it, yeah, and cool. also the fact that uh, it's online primarily, and I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I gotta get over this. This. This in, this lack of desire to play online with strangers. You mean it's, just the, the 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 knowledge that you will lose a no, whole lot. No, not that. It's it's ingrained from the past. Mm. This might tap into uh, a current event, mind you, but oh, it's still relevant. Okay. okay. So um, yeah, back in the day, early online game. We're talking Xbox One. Um, to be more specific, online with voice chat, not just online. Um, I had more than my fair share of experiences, primarily with FPS games like Halo 2, yeah. where I got called some terms mm-hmm. just willy-nilly from people who just wanted to be edgy and just trashy people. And you might have someone that comes out and says, oh, they're just joshing you or grow a spine or something. Uh. I'm like, oh, I had a spine. But I still didn't give two hoops, and I realized, you know, I could just as well play game single player and not deal with nonsense and still have fun. So yeah, I could, yeah, you know what? I get it. I get that. I saw a meme um, earlier that was like, uh, you know, nowadays if you're playing a game online, you know, it doesn't matter what race you are or anything. If you're playing against a 14 year old kid in Fortnite, you're all gay. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Like, that's like yeah, that's that's about right. That's all they've got. That's that's all they've got going for it. But no, I should have I should have considered that that like our our gaming history of like being really excited to go online and then the reality of being online is. Uh, I even had moments where yeah. like you beat a person in the game, they start trashing you, so yeah. you quit, and they start messaging you directly. Like why oh, did you run away? I was still yelling at you. Yeah, in three sixty, they could just keep following you, man. It was some stuff. So like I just like I said, I just stopped. But I'll still play games with friends. But that's ultimately why like I couldn't stick with Rocket League. But yeah. don't get me wrong, if I could collect a team of people that I would always be teamed up with and then get online as a as a crew and play online, mm-hmm. I would totally do that. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a cool team game. It's a really interesting team game. But yeah, that that's just kind of like that idea of like futuristic sports. But sports games are are, are by design like competitive. So if it doesn't have online play, it's probably not gonna be not going to sell too well. Yeah. All right, so um, my first rental uh, reflection, little memory, is uh, the game Yodnoid for the NES. Remember that one? <laughs> oh, yo, 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 Noid! <laughs> this is a. Uh, we're gonna listen to Stage Thirteen, which I guarantee I never saw. 
Um, <laughs> this is for the NES, and I believe it's composed by Masakatsu Mayakawa, and I'll get into that, but I can only assume that this is the that, that's the person who, who composed this music. All right, stage 13 from Yonoid. to stage 13 from the game Yo! Noid for the Nintendo Entertainment System and I believe it's composed by Masakatsu Meikawa um, so yeah this this is a game that like when I first like I was really young when I saw this this was this game came out in 1990 um, so I was I was pretty young and when we saw this in the on the, on the shelf I was like I couldn't believe I could not believe that there was a, uh, a Nintendo game based on like this weird, bizarre, honestly kind of scary looking um, uh, mascot for Domino's. And it's so weird that the mascot for Domino's was actually like a demon, <laughs> like a guy in a weird demon costume that like would just wreak havoc on people. Or he was like, he was just there to like make sure that your pizza didn't arrive on time. Because at the time, the big thing was getting your pizza within 30 minutes or less. Um, <laughs> Avoid the noise. He steals pizzas. He steals pizzas. But the um, I, I believe this game eventually, I, I think a year or two later, um, there was uh, they got rid of the mascot, the Noid, because an actual person whose last name was Noid was convinced that the owner of Domino's was created this character to get him, um, and he went into a pizza shop um, and held people hostage, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and it was a really bad scene. Everyone got away safely because they eventually gave him pizza to eat because <laughs> he was hungry. I swear, I'm not making this up. I read the news story today. And then everyone escaped and the police caught the guy. But it, it was enough to like for them just to get rid of it altogether. That's why the Noid no longer exists. And that's why it no longer exists because something real happened. <laughs> but, I, that makes, I always wondered about that because I thought he was a great mascot. He's very weird. It's so, so, so 90s. Um, the weirder the mascot, the better. So the, the game, mascot. the game is based off. The, um, it's a Capcom title, or it was. It was developed. It was published by Capcom. A developer was called Now Production. Um, it was based on an engine called Wagonland, um, which I feel, believe there's a bunch of side-scroller games within this series. But the original title of the game in Japan is called Kamen no Ninja Hanmaru, or Masked Ninja Hanamaru, and it was localized in America. To change ninjas for n- the Noid and to add pizza <laughs> as the main theme of the game. <laughs> to so be... they just basically took a pre-existing product and branded it with a licensed property. That's exactly what they re- they just changed everything out. And in fact, they added some new music to it. They added some, I think, a couple levels, and they added some new music. So 
Um, I, that's why it's hard to tell. And I don't know who the, who the, uh, the American composer was for that. So I'm assuming American. Or it's pot- it or it we- would almost be double hysterical if the composer was actually a Domino's employee. And they'd be like, hey, <laughs> would you like to take a crack? I heard you've been doing mixings at parties. Would you like to try composing music for a video game? <laughs> sure. Do I get paid? Nah, we need some pizza. Then you get extra pizza. And the guy's like, all right, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for pizza. But yeah, I just thought it was amazing. Like just a game with 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 the Noid as the mascot. We never bought it. It would just I think that's that's something to be said too. I never bought a lot of the games that we rented. Like a lot of the times we rented them and just thought they were just weird curiosities or they didn't or make my, any sense. Or in my case, you rented them and your goal was to beat them before you returned them. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, that's that's a tough one though, especially back then. These games got like they'd be like, "Oh, that's fun." And then they would get brutal, like super like un just unrelentingly almost it's just unfairly difficult but that's the amazing thing about it too like games a lot of games or at least nes specifically were designed to be so hard that you could not beat them on rentals Mm. as you know genesis like the genesis super nintendo had a couple games like that the lion king was notoriously famous for that um but but like that was actually just in its own right where the uh where your game chops were truly getting honed, mm. where you were renting these games that were built to break you, and you're like, no! I only can afford to rent this once! I have to finish this so I don't have to waste my money on a second rental. It has to be done today. <laughs> yeah, man, it's... Like, a lot of these games I never, never finished. Like, I, I, that's like, I think about, like, yeah, maybe I should just go back and start trying to finish some of these really retro classic titles because I never got to see the endings of them, you know? And having free states or save states makes them much oh, more tough. Because I, and it's not. Che- I don't think I don't. I don't consider save states as like a way of like cheating the system or whatever. Like, it's just a, it's just a quality of life. Like I don't. I don't have that kind of time. I would. I, I would want to save a game on, anyway. You know. I will say it almost depends on the game, though. And what I mean by that is, because uh, I use save states notoriously. No shame in it either. But, uh, like there is saving the game outside of a boss room with the intent being to do that the game intended for you to beat the boss one two three boom got it so rather than play the whole like ninja gaiden there we go perfect yeah, example there you go yeah ninja gaiden, ninja gaiden the last stage was designed to be a time killer if yeah. you fail on the last boss you go all the way back to six one or whatever that's to me that's the link yeah yeah you, you gotta play through like four levels all over again i, I mean like now, now so for, using the save state like in between a fight, being like, "Okay, I'm almost dead save." Okay, I'm almost dead save. You know, like that's kind of that's cheating slash exploitation. Yeah, but I, if I yeah. save free state outside the boss room, and if I die, I'm doing it again. Yeah, it's like it's that's like a, fine to me. It's like a nice password system, you know. <laughs> yeah, because now I'm saying I can still tell people well, he took me like six tries. Yeah. But at the core, that means that all save state did was prevent me from having to redo those three levels which i've clearly beaten already mm-hmm. just to take one more crack at this boss no i don't have time for that but i do have time to just retry the boss over and over until i get it right oh yeah no, that's- so to me that's where it's awesome and also like with rpgs mm-hmm. um oh it geez. depends like like games like shin megami tensei or persona one where the dungeons were so long that you might be stuck sitting there for hours just trying to get to a save room where I'm like, look, I got things to do. I got to go. So you save the game, come back later. And given the fact that 
simply not having the time to run through an entire gauntlet in one sitting was enough of a difficulty marker to prevent a lot of people from playing it. Having access to be able to determine your time flow made it much better. I could save the game, come back later, start right back here, resume the progress. Mm -hmm. Instead of being stuck waiting four hours between save points, I could stop after an hour, come back, play an hour, play an hour, and now save the game officially in the game proper when I get to the save room. So that's less cheating, and again, it's more saying I don't have to stop playing this game because, you know, you know something came up, I had to yeah. go to work. But right? I mean, to like, to given the tools, aren't we all creating our own rules? You know? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm, technically, I'm just describing my rules. Yeah, like, I like it. To, to bring up my old, bring up an old adage again, to bring up, if, I, if Chris Murray were to ask this exact same question, he'd probably say, most of what I'm saying is BS right now. <laughs> because <laughs> ultimately... It's about curating, using your time, and curating your game experience yeah. to whatever suits you. Well, let's, so, let's 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 keep curating this podcast. What's your next track? Oh, right. So, speaking of games that took multiple rentals, likely to beat it because I'm almost positive this took me at least two. Um, this game is called Lofia in the Fortress of Doom, and this is the boss theme from that game, composed by one of these guys. Um, Yasunori Shiono, Aki Zatsu, and Naomi Kuroda. Welcome back. That loop, that quick loop, but fantastic loop, was the boss theme from Lufia in the Fortress of Doom, composed by Yasunori Shiono, Aki Zaitsu, and Naomi Kuroda, released on the Super Nintendo. The original Japanese name for it was Estopolis, which I didn't know forever, but all I knew at the time was that here's this RPG on the shelf, because I was looking for an RPG to rent from a company that I did not recognize because I didn't care about Natsume back then. Um, but I saw Colorful, I saw Super Nintendo, and I saw a game I wasn't paying money for. So, <laughs> rental it is, um, because we couldn't afford it. Like, basically, if I bought a game back then, it had to be really awesome, because we couldn't afford many good games. Or not good games. We couldn't afford many games to purchase. So right, you gotta, you gotta make sure. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I want my time to go to something good, because that's the other thing. Even rentals, 
we couldn't afford but so much. So if I got a rental for that weekend, that was a treat. So it better be a good game. So I made my call to say, this is a game I can't afford, but it looks interesting enough to satisfy my interest for a weekend. And what ended up happening was I stumbled across an RPG that was very colorful, uh, followed... It didn't really feel like like the writing was all that intricate back then, though I bet if I played it now, I might change my tune on that. Um, I also realized that it wasn't Final Fantasy, but it was still pretty slick. And the difficulty was absurd. Bosses were brutal. And you had to grind for each one, from what I remember. Every boss needed a grind. There was no just rushing the guy. You would get to the boss, lose, and say, okay, let me get two or three levels and then try again. Two or three levels and try again until one of those sessions, oh, wow. you could take a hit and not die. Like, okay, I can get hit twice. So it wasn't, enough. it wasn't like paste where like on your way there, you're definitely going to be okay nope. enough. No. <laughs> not a chance. Oh, man. Not a chance. Now, did I fight every battle back then? I think I did, but I can't be positive 100%. These days, I fight every battle. Mm. But back then, I don't know for sure if I was doing that, but I would bet I did and still had to grind. So take that as as you may. Now, it took me multiple rentals to beat this game, at least two. But after the second rental, I never came back because I was done. I experienced what it was and it was time to move on. And the brutal thing about renting RPGs back then, especially RPGs, was the fact that you didn't want to wait too long between rentals well, or you would rent it twice in the same like in succession. Like you right. take it back and go, I want to pay more to keep it. You don't because, want to lose it because if you save your game, you don't want to lose it. Exactly. You leave it on the shelf. Two people come and rent it. They erase your file and start over. You got to start over. Ain't nobody got time no for that. So when I did beat this game, it ended up being a scenario where I double rented it, ran through it, finished it, and I was done. Oh wow! Uh, but I love the game. I look back on it finally now, and it's one of those games where I keep telling myself, if I find a huge window of time, I will replay this game. So is this the first Lufia game? Like, Because I remember the second one was uh, Lufia Rise of the Sinistrals. Yeah, Lufia 2 was the was a prequel to right. Lufia 1. Right. That's right, that's right. I remember um, uh, our friend Kim was telling us about that. She she had a lot of really good memories of this of this game. Oh, Kim did? Yeah. That's a surprise to hear. But yeah, like, that would be something fun to talk to somebody about or someone I know for sure. Because, yeah, Luthia was a game that I don't think a lot of people that I know talked about. Mm. But everyone I know that did talk about it loved it. Like, it's one of those games that just kind of flew under a number of radars, but it clicked. It's got, some, got, it's got some great music. Both, I mean, both games in the series, but definitely the second one. I mean, they're, they've got some great, great tunes. And this this is a, this is a short loop. It's not that long for for a boss battle. You would expect it to be just a little bit longer, but there's a whole lot of like tension and stuff happening within the song. Well, honestly, <laughs> when you're fighting those bosses and that cheapness that comes out of it, <laughs> the tension just added to the experience because now you're like, please don't die, please don't die. <laughs> Whose turn is it next? Please, please heal. I need time to heal. Uh, and honestly, those are the kind of RPG battles I like, even in the present day. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one of the reasons why I like Jack and difficulty up on these things. There's, I mean, yeah. going back to an earlier topic. Oh, do you of, think it's uh, a nostalgia thing? Like, like you miss like that kind of difficulty? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, there's there's different schools of interest in this stuff. Some people want the power fantasy; they just come in and stomp everybody and get from beginning to end. Me, I like two things. 
one being challenged the entire game. That's a good, that's a nice scenario because it forces you to really flex the system that they created to get the most out of the experience. Because if you just hit attack, 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 you can't win. They designed it that that doesn't work. The alternative variant on this that I also like is when the game can be broken by knowledge. Like, if you can play the game and be like, wait a minute, if I combine this skill with that skill and then get this guy in my party with this skill, mm. no one can touch me. Like, on one hand, it kills the challenge. But on the other hand, at least the challenge was killed because of something you figured out. It wasn't like a cheat code. It wasn't uh, yeah. poor programming. It was yeah, just flat out. I, just, I figured out a killer strategy and it worked. Like, I like that stuff so much. And the other thing about it is like, there's something satisfying about that. It gives your attacks punch. It gives your decisions punch. Like when you play something and everything works, what are you choosing? Why are you? What are you deciding? Yeah, you, know? you want that risk, you like risk uh, reward, right? Yeah. If this yeah. move fails, I'm going to die, or mm. or at least I wasted a turn. Mm. Something I need to come up with a thing that actually works against this guy. I, I need a scan ability to learn yeah. their weakness. That kind of thing. Yeah. Or in the case of old games like Lufia, use every spell you've got until one works. <laughs> <laughs> and then you write it down on a piece of paper and you come back and just spam that spell. Well, on um, the complete opposite ends of this thing, I'm playing a track from the game. Godzilla, King of the Monsters for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Gojira. 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 This is um, the theme of Mars and also the music for the cutscene. So and the composer is unknown. Could not find one for this one. I don't think... I don't think it. I don't think it's even. It's, I don't think it's known at all, as, as far as I understand. the track uh the theme of mars and the music from cutscenes from the game godzilla monster of monsters was the title of the game it's for the nes and the composer is still unknown and yeah so now do you remember that when you would rent some of these games they often did not have uh booklets they didn't have any instruction manuals what do you mean when you would rent them yeah because like they didn't sometimes they would put it in the box or like the clap case that they would give you the game and yeah. you know people would destroy them and lose them or whatever so if you weren't like the first or them. second yeah. guy to rent it forget it so there's a whole i remember there's a whole series of games i would rent on the nes that i would just not know what i was doing games like dick tracy or who framed roger rabbit like this um i almost picked a track from romance of the three kingdoms too <laughs> Because the, on the, the cover, it looks badass with all like these samurai, and it looks like it's going to be this big war game. And then, you know, as a young kid, you plug it in, and it's just, it's a weird strategy game, and the controls make no sense to get through <laughs> any of the menus. It's very strange. There's only two buttons on the controller. 
I will say this though, that was an odd added element to game rentals back yeah. then, specifically yeah, because of the lack of manual. Yes, you had to figure everything out, mm. and they didn't have those tutorials that games have nowadays when the guy's like, "Hey, press A to jump." Um, it was just you no. should know that you can jump somehow. Yeah, and half the time it was like this is like 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 in the in the like for Dick Tracy, you just had to know how that game worked. Like mm-hmm. you had to know you had to go here to get information to go here. Otherwise, you couldn't go there in the first place. Like it just like so many of these games didn't make any sense. Um, but as a result, would you say you ever had? Because I have had this experience. I still remember the specific game, regardless regarding it, mind you. But a game where you would play and you were doing whatever you could to yeah. succeed. You were enjoying yourself. And then you go talk to another friend about it, and they end up telling you something specific, like, "Oh, didn't you know you can just like press these two buttons together oh, yeah. and fire a charged laser? Like, and and that's you know, how you destroy that wall." Like, like you, you would have never known unless you like you actually had the manual and like read the manual. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, like, but Godzilla is one of these games because, like, you know, like, it makes sense, right? You're gonna play as a giant monster destroying things, but really, it's a strategy game where you're like maneuvering like pieces on a, on a board and then eventually you get to like a side scrolly stage or like a weird fighting game stage. But it was just like, it made no sense to me as a kid. Like I just, I couldn't, I couldn't piece it together. So in the end, did you end up renting it, but then making like zero progress in it yeah. because you got tired of trying to figure it out? Yeah. We, we rented a bunch of games like these. Um, and, and coming back to it, it's like, Oh, people, people love this title, but like the games that I believe, made the biggest impression on me especially as rentals were the ones that you can pick up and immediately dive into like base wars uh, my family was really big into pictionary on the nes or uh or what was the one it's anticipation where we mm-hmm. start to draw the picture like we yeah. were oh any of that stuff we were just we would get so so competitive um remember the game uh, trog well, I only remember because I played it with you on the yeah. live stream yeah that's because I remembered it so well we would we would just get so crazy on that game and um, I look, I look, a bunch of weird ones too. Um, uh, like the one I we played a uh, caveman games because I remember like that was just a strange game that for some reason the rental store near me had it. It's kind of funny. I look back because like I was trying to remember, you know, prior to the episode and even now while we're talking, I've been trying to remember like what are some of the games I rented, and something that eluded me, and for good reason probably is the fact that I rented Mega Man X and X Two. Like mm. that was how I originally played those games. Um, and they definitely fell into the whole sense of like they felt intuitive in my mind. Like I could just boot them, I could put them in the system, yeah. start playing, and I knew I could dash, I could jump, I could fire my gun, I could charge my gun. Like it just made sense as I played and experienced the game. Well, then those and, games are designed so. I feel like the Mega Man X series is designed really, really well. Like you're like the controls kind of made sense, and they were mm-hmm. super responsive. And they had a way of showing you stuff like at the beginning of the game, like say Mega Man X one specifically, um, you knew you could run and you could jump. And there were also times where you just kinda had to fire a charged shot. And just by virtue of them showing the little like sparkly lights around the character, you could just you like accidentally would like be holding down the button at some point and then you'd like, Wait, what's that sparkle? Oh, I'll hold it. Wow, I got a charged gun. Um, and then every time you got a new piece of armor which gave you a new ability the game would give you that, that sort of flash display to show this is what it does. Like when you got the boots, he would do like a quick dash to show you, now I can dash. Mm-hmm. And so now you knew one of your buttons could dash. So you just pressed them until one of them did it. Um, and it was just fantastic in that right. Like it was very intuitive for a person to play without needing a manual. Um, 
But there's a lot of games thinking back that I ended up renting to play them. But I look back on them now, and if I don't I'll directly recall it, I wouldn't even realize that I rented them at first. Because I did eventually buy a copy of X2 and X1. Okay. Um, but I originally played them as rentals. Super Metroid originally was a rental for me. I didn't own it. There was I didn't one, get it until I was an adult. There was one I played. Oh, I'm trying to remember. It was like a... You were like a Roman like warrior, like an emperor, and you were fighting others. Um, oh, shoot. I can't remember. But it was... Um, I remember you would you what you would do is you would set up your your soldiers in a specific configuration and then you would just let them fight and you would see who would win. But it was really 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 odd. I mean, maybe that was Genesis. Maybe that wasn't NES. But I remember the Honestly, trick was well, someone's like, listening. EB will know what it is. Yeah, yeah I hope so. Uh, the, I figure. I remember as a kid, I, I discovered that the only like the, the way to win every single battle was to take your emperor and just put him in the back, just never let him get killed, and then you'd, you'd be fine. <laughs> Yeah, but then you can't make progress, right? No, no, you're fine. Yeah, you just don't let your emperor get killed. <laughs> that reminds me of another game. I didn't choose a track from it on this episode, but it's another game I actually played through rentals. Uh, Ogre Battle. Yeah, Ogre Battle. That was that was an interesting one. That was a turn-based strategy situation. Not even so much turn-based. It was, believe it or not, it was real it's time. Real t- oh, it was real time. That's right. So, like, Ogre Battle, I, I originally used to rent... And when I finally had some money to buy it, the game's cart value skyrocketed. Like, if you went to, like, Funko Land to buy it, the game yeah. retailed for, like, 150 bucks. And then, uh, eventually, it got a PlayStation 1 re-release, which I purchased, like, day one with my job income. And I love how I said, my job income. Yeah. Um, and then that re-release skyrocketed in value, too. But at least now I have a version of this game. But, uh... That game was designed in a way where it was real time, where you would send units to locations, they would move, and then the enemy's units would move towards you, trying to conquer your base. And whenever enemies would meet on the field, you'd have a battle. And that's when it would become like this like back and forth, just like a normal RPG battle, where you didn't make direct commands for everybody. They just had actions that they did based on the row you put them in. But uh, it was interesting how it broke down, because if you just kind of sent guys out and this has happened to me, which is why I've never beaten the game to this very day. You could have stalemates where guys would just keep moving and fighting in the middle, and then someone would die, and another guy would step in and kill their exhausted unit, and then vice versa, the next guy would come down and kill your exhausted unit. You would just keep doing this forever. I had, like, I think the high, the farthest I've ever gotten to that game was like stage 10. We needed octopi to cross the ocean, um, where, so you had to have an octopus in your unit. Or your formation in order to cross water on that kind of thing. But uh, so now I gotta go back and play Ogre Battle. See what you did. What's well, gonna happen tonight? When this episode's done, I'm gonna boot up Ogre Battle or Horizon Zero Dawn. One or the other. There's there another game that was similar to Ogre Battle. It was called King Arthur's World. Remember that one? On the, on no. The there was a, a friend of mine growing up, Steve. He was super into these strategy games and uh, RPGs. And I, to me, I, as a younger, when I was younger, it didn't make any sense to me. But uh, um, it was very much like that. It was real time. You, know, you choose your. your um, you choose your like units, and they would go out and they would fight. But there would be like traps and stuff along the way. Hey, those are the games. That don't you just want to? Well, do you, um, whether you find time is another story. And that's the other goes for me. Hey, go too. back like, and explore. Don't you just want to go back and explore? Yeah, them yeah. Again? I think like, I think yeah. about it. I'm like, wow, wow. I, half the time it's like, do these things even exist? Like I don't remember too well, you know. Uh, but anyway, we should we should keep moving on. What's what's your third track? All right, this one almost should not come as a surprise to anybody, given the pedigree. Um, but this is the overworld theme, as they call it. But I don't believe it was a friggin' overworld. It was just running around 
um, from the game Facts Anadu yeah. on the NES, composed by Jun Chikuma. Classic. This is a classic. Okay, to reiterate, this is the overworld theme from the game Faxanadu on the NES, composed by Jun Chikuma. So, when I originally played this game, all I knew was, hey, this is a cool little game. I like it. I like the shopkeeper. He's this really cool bald guy who sells like a meat like a meat counter behind him for some reason, despite the fact that I don't think he actually sold meat. It's been a while. I'll have to go back and check. I don't remember. <laughs> but, um, and I also love the fact that whenever the main character would walk, he had this weird hop-bop step. And I used to kind of make that like motion at home, like as a kid, like boop, 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 boop. And I would do it to this music because <laughs> this track was really good. It stuck to me. And then as I became older and really started getting into my love of Falcom games and learning of the Xanadu series, my first thought was, wait a minute, when I'm a first boy, maybe my fifth thought was, holy crap, was Fact Xanadu a game in the Xanadu series? Interesting. And I went to go look, and turns out, no, it, well, it was, but not developed by Falcom. Oh, I um, see, I see. I got that confused. Also, because this is as confusing as the Dickens, um, well, no, no, Xanadu is a franchise, but I've also read somewhere that Xanadu itself was part of the Dragon Slayer franchise. Yeah, I see that but, here. It's a, it's a spinoff. Uh, spin so, Fazanadu is a side story of Xanadu, which is the second installment of Dragon Slayer. But the thing is, I don't necessarily trust that only not the not the Xanadu side story, but the Dragon Slayer bit because every time I've gone to look into the history of the Dragon Slayer series, it's so convoluted and <laughs> just there's like a mat. If you look around online, there's like a giant table someone did where it's like here are all the different branches of the Dragon Slayer series and these games that fall in somehow. Mm -hmm. Um, but ultimately, this is a side story to Xanadu, but. And Falcom had to be paid to license the property information, like the name and all that. But it was developed by Hudson. Um, but back then, all I knew was this game was awesome and also surprisingly difficult for me. And Nintendo Power taught me that I would like this game. So, okay. Here's I read about <laughs> so oh yeah, anyway, so for uh, Fazanadu is a combination of Famicom and Xanadu. That's why it's called Fazanadu. Oh, so they're, that's right, because Japan it was called the Fazanadu game, and then yeah. in America it got the Faxanadu name translation. 
or not translation, but a rename. No, no, it's, like, it's 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 still it's still the same. It's just we it's just it's a Xanadu. We just call it. We say fax Xanadu because it was because we were. But it's kids. not spelled with a Z. No, it's with it's with an X. Why the they get F A X and go faz? Yeah, it's both Xanadu and then F A Xanadu for Famicom Xanadu. Oh, Famicom Xanadu. Yeah. So here's Fazit. something I didn't. Oh, no, Gungo. I don't remember much about the show, but Captain N, the Game Master. There were two episodes that take place in this the Fazanadu world. Really? Yeah, it said um, it's called the Germ Wars and the Feud of Fazanadu. It says the Elven King is named Melvis and he looks and sounds like Elvis Presley. <laughs> and then they changed his voice later on. I'm going to need to go back and look at that episode then, because I don't even remember them going to that world. Oh, man, that's so Which sucks. Strange. I think I remember a King Melvis, but... Yeah, maybe. Uh, I've, I've been remembering all sorts of weird things watching these 80s and 90s sitcoms. Can you imagine a cartoon coming out today <laughs> that functioned like Captain N did back then? Like, you just have this guy who goes to random game worlds. It's a... It was a weird time. I feel like I feel like the, the the commercial landscape for this stuff was like a lawless land. They could just do whatever they wanted. Yeah, I miss that. Like, <laughs> it's sad because they had like properties that weren't even Nintendo based. They were yeah. way on a Nintendo console, but they weren't Nintendo games. They were like you know different companies who released them. They were like, yeah, you can put them in Captain and don't worry. Yeah, it's all Nintendo, whatever. Sure, he's drinking a Coke. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but right. like it's such a amazing history there behind that but yeah i did beat fax to do oh, i am good. pretty sure it took me multiple plays to try to do it i would also revisit this game this is another one that i would love to play through yeah, again i should go back i, I want to see this one again um so my, my last track comes from a uh, sega genesis title this is jurassic park the rampage edition um specifically the rampage edition for whatever reason i remember this one um and this track is the aviary and it's composed by sam powell
All right, you're listening to the aviary stage from the game Jurassic Park, the Rampage edition for the Sega Genesis, composed by Sam Powell. Ooh. This game, like, really captured my imagination because, oh, one, oh, one, I mean, Jurassic Park is, is a like, incredible movie. And, um, you know, the time it came out, I was, like, just amazed. I was astonished by just this, the scale of, of the movie, of, of, the, of the dinosaurs. Um, just super cool stuff. And um, for the Sega Genesis, they were like, well, let's make this, like, for everything, for every movie tie-in game. Let's just make it a side-scrolling game. But in this one, why not let, allow you play as a velociraptor chasing down Dr. Grant? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I like that concept a lot. Uh, I like cool. the idea of you being the dinosaurs for once. Yeah. You can be the quote-unquote villain. Though, really, when it comes to Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs were not villains if anything the people were the villains oh yeah totally the dinosaurs were just like they're just animals you know they're just doing their thing but and uh, they were brought back by humans who wanted to cut a profit so they were already extinct like they lived there they had their time they were done i was like now let's bring them back to the present age lock them in a park and then profit off of their existence now screw that i want to eat humans instead i'm hungry yeah exactly like humans are there we're hungry (laughs) let's get started which makes me wonder if dinosaurs would have actually eaten humans. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. You think a T-Rex would have intentionally gone out of its way yeah. to hunt down tiny humans where it could eat other large dinosaurs? I think so. I think so. If it was just walking around and saw a human, it'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's eat this thing. I'm going to chase after this human through this brush. I mean, they're not so big that we're like ants to him, you know, but like, yeah, why not? <laughs> like... Yeah, see a T-Rex just like walking like us, oh, just stomp humans. Like they're just ants to me. Like that's how I perceive it. A T-Rex would be would look at humans more like ants, just pests. Well, the Velociraptors definitely. definitely. Oh, they would, yeah, because the size is comparable. You know, but like is that, is that what's getting movies. you like this the scale of the dinosaur to the yes! humans? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does because all those films, all the media of dinosaurs against humans, they always featured the T-Rexes being like the most vicious. Mammals massive of all the dinosaurs, and he's coming to kill humans. You're like, a T Rex would give two hoop magoots about human beings, it would just stomp all over us on its way to an actual dinner. That's what it would do. What got me was that, like, if if his tiny hands could hold bacteria spray, it would just spray humans down because we're getting into all of its food. We're just annoying it. I knew, I knew our conversation would go back to dinosaurs. Um, do you, <laughs> do you remember, I remember, like uh, um, in the in the movie, like they've ran into the brontosauruses and mm-hmm. or the brachiosauruses, and they were, um, oh, they won't hurt us. They're they're veggie sauruses. They're they eat vegetables. They, they're veggie sauruses. Yeah, that's, that's what the girl called them. It was cute, and um, and all in my mind, like those animals are enormous. They are just as dangerous. They could step on you. They would They'll not even accidentally kill you. Just, yeah. He'll just turn around and smack you with his tail. Like if if um, whoops. So um, yeah, Christy is is uh, she rides horses. She's she's really really into horses, and and they're large animals. Like if you have to be careful around them because if they even sneeze around you, their head can hit you, and their heads are so heavy that they can knock you out. They can break your nose. They can do some serious damage. Not even thinking about it. Imagine. Imagine the scale of a dinosaur, Pernell, <laughs> mm-hmm. stepping on you. Or yeah, I don't. Well, I don't want to imagine it because it would be a very brief experience. <laughs> well, a Triceratops, which is also. Um, uh, it would still be pretty brief unless he missed my like vital organs somehow. <laughs> then it would just be a de- despairing 
situation of wishing my legs weren't oh, broken. Man. Well, anyway, I was a, I was a, I was a preteen, I guess, when this game came out, and so I was like, oh yeah, I want dark games with blood, like Mortal Kombat, and I don't want Jurassic Park. I want games where you could be the, the dinosaur and kill people. Like I was into that stuff. I was. So did you collect the dinosaur tax trading cards then? Um, no, no, I did. <laughs> I did. I'm surprised to hear that. Then you had that. That that mentality regarding dinosaurs <laughs> would have probably loved the dinosaurs attack trading car series. I bought them. I never heard of despite them, despite being like very. Uh, I would say I was not the target audience for those things, but I still bought them for some reason Holy because moly. they were tops. They were very graphic. I'm hard. looking at them right now. This one says a kid strikes back. It's a kid with a bazooka shooting a a, a dinosaur in the chest. Yes. So. For crushing those who a are oh, younger that's awful. than us. Jesus. Yeah. For those who are younger than us, one of the big running trends in the 80s was particularly Tops would do this. They would release a series of trading cards where the cards would just be still images. Oh, God, these are terrible. them all up, they would depict a narrative story. Like, these are the events of this story. Sometimes they would take TV shows that already aired and just like take scenes from the cartoons themselves and say, here's a bunch of episode clips from a cartoon. But in the case of something like Dinosaur's Attacks or Mars Attacks, they were cards that they de- used to depict a situation. In the case of Dinosaur Whoa. Attacks, a war where dinosaurs were trying to take over the Earth and kill all humanity. I am... And humans fighting back against them. And these were graphic cards oh, that they were selling to, Jesus. like, grade schools. Because I was, I, like, eight years old I'm or seven years old. all of these noises because I just Googled these things. And it yeah. is... Some of these are downright terrifying. Now, no, I would not have been into this. These would have these would have disturbed me. Keep in mind, you're reading that, you're looking at that now and saying that. I was buying those cars when I was seven years old. Oh seven. God. I would bet dollars to donuts they could not be marketed to seven-year-olds today. No way. Dollars to donuts. They could never be. But back then, it was fair game. You go to buy your pack of Garbage Pail Kids, and on the way out, hey, Tops released these new cards. You wow. want to buy those too? Sure. And that's literally why I started buying Dinosaur Attacks cards, because I already love Garbage Pail Kids. Tops could make another cool card set, but instead I got Dinosaur Attacks. But is, I still collected them. That is incredible, Purnell. I am... I am... I am... I don't know. I, I don't know how I'm going to do with this knowledge. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> bury it. Uh, I traumatize you and then bury it like it happened to me. I'm just thankful I never saw this. You know, like... At the most, mm-hmm. like the, the the garbage pill kids were just gross. Yeah, garbage pill kids are awesome. Like they were, they they were art. They were art to me. Yeah, like, um, I don't know. And it's something. Funny thing is, like yeah. Mars Attacks is like looked back fondly on. Yeah. But if you go look up those old cards, they were pretty visceral too. Yeah. yeah. Like we glossed over it because we had a funny like '90s movie that came out based on the property, and there was a video game that's inspired by <clears throat> Destroy All Humans. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, there's, there's a great pinball machine from Mars Attacks. Yeah. yeah, but if you look back on it, back in the day, like the original cards and stuff, they were pretty graphic, hmm. too. But, again, we were all buying them at the age of six and seven or whatever, and how, no one cared. How did they get away with this stuff? It's, oh, my God. You know what? You know what? That's okay. That's okay. We're going to cleanse this with, with a cleansing bonus round. <laughs> <sighs> Bonus round. Yes. Oh. I feel so much better. Yeah. And the bonus round is where you take a deep breath in, hold it for two, and you release. 
covers and arrangements and remixes on your theme <laughs> for now. <laughs> and things will get better. So take a deep breath in and listen to Purnell's track, which is I don't know. You, oh, I you, gotta I gotta reach into my duffel bag here. Oh, okay. And fish it out. Oh, that was quick. This track is Duffel bag full of post-it notes, is that what it is? Uh, just a tad, just a little bit. Um, this is a remix from a game that I'm actually surprised I've barely put on the show because hmm. I'm sure I've talked about it on the show more than once. Um, but this is a remix of the past battle theme from the game Seventh Saga. It is called Battle in a World of Fading Hope. It was arranged by Master Hatchet, and apparently it was originally posted or created to be shared within the dwelling of duels, which is something I'm actually a part of nowadays. I kind of follow it. I just suck at following it, but I follow it and it's pretty awesome. Um, give it a listen. Maybe I'll talk about it afterwards. All right. Well, maybe, maybe you will. Maybe, 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 maybe I will, Jimmy.
good. <laughs> Welcome back. You just listened to Battle in a World of Fading Hope, a uh, uh, cover from the game Seven Saga, arranged by Master Hatchet. So, well, I'll go on to the game proper in a second, but so this was recorded for specifically for something known as Dwelling of Duels, which I learned about through Steel Samurai member Darmok. Uh, and this has apparently been going on for a really long time. I only learned about it like a, like a month or two ago. But um, what it is, is it's a group that is comprised of multiple remixers and cover artists. And what happens is each session, I don't know, if, I can't remember if it's every month or every couple of months or whatever, but they will come up with a theme. And the idea would be that all the arrangers have to come up with their best arrangement slash cover for any game or any sound that fits within this theme. And then all the members vote on who did the best composition. Apparently it's being run by uh, Waz D, actually. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And uh, it's, honestly, I love it. I think the, I think the concept is grand. It allows all these guys to flex their muscles and just get wild with compositions without having to really stress over them. It's just like, hey, I want to make something. I have a theme. I have a goal. Let's just throw this sound out and see if people dig it, you know? And if they're already talented, all the better. It's just, it just keeps their creative juices flowing. It's such a cool concept to me. That's yeah, a really oh. great concept. There's so, so much music. So if you go to dwellingofduels.net, um, there is, there's so much music here. Um, and you can listen to all of the past entries. This this artist, uh, Master Hatchet, has like sixty something in there. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I I am such. Once I learned about this thing, I've been mm. happy about it ever since. I've been a member of their group, their Discord group, all this stuff. It's just it's a good thing. Oh, it's really cool. As for the game itself, well, <laughs> Seven Saga is a traumatic game. <laughs> um, Typically known by many that played it as one of the most unfair RPGs you will ever play in your life. Okay. Um, Seven Saga is a game featuring about, I want to say it's seven different characters who are all trying to vie for the master power that comes from acquiring all of the runes which are hidden throughout the game. There's a story under this as well, but I don't remember that. All I remember is you want these darn runes. So you're going around the world trying to find these runes. And of course, there's the occasional quest that comes up when you find a town like, someone's kidnapped my daughter and you're locked in this cave. I'll save them or whatever. And you're going through the process of going through, looking for these runes ultimately. Now, as you progress the game, um, you're initially by yourself. But sometimes you will come across one of the other characters searching for the runes. And depending on the relationship between the two characters, they may form an alliance. Hmm. And you might be able to get a second party member out of it. However, sometimes they will just attack you because screw you, I want all the treasure for myself. And then you have a battle with your rivals. Or even worse, sometimes they'll join you for a time and then at the opportune moment, they'll turn on you and then you have to fight them in battle that way. Oh my god. Those are much worse situations when they happen. The game um, is really neat looking. It's um like the battles go into like this kind of mode seven situation and uh, I don't know, it's very cool. It's a great game. Like I look back finally. This was back when Enix was still Enix, mm. not Square Enix. And uh I still look back on it fondly. It was definitely a rental game. It definitely again took me at least two to three rentals to complete it wow. because the first rental, I'm sure, I just fumbled at it. Second rental, I started from the beginning, but I had better knowledge of what I was doing, so I just kind of plowed through it. And honestly, now I think about it, I wouldn't be sure if I did beat it on the second rental because 
if it was a weekend rental and I already had the knowledge or a, I could have totally run through this in that amount of time. Mm. Worst case scenario, I would have rented it, started on it, had an extendo rental. See, this is how old and weird I'm getting. I'm sitting there trying to mentally calculate how many rentals it would like have taken. How long ago it would have taken. I don't even remember anymore. It's killing me. But I do know that I've beaten this by way of rental. And it likely took multiple successive Man. rentals to do it. I don't think I've beaten anything over rental. And here's one I'm sure I didn't. This is from Dizzy the Adventurer. Um, and this is... A little white Eggman? little white Eggman that I was only able to play on a... It's called the Quattro Adventure Cart. And there's a few of these that were released by Codemasters and a company called Comerica in which there were four games. In, it, was like, it was like a four in one. Four games in one. And one of them was Dizzy, or at least it was part of the game Dizzy that was really popular on the ZX Spectrum in the UK. And there was a complete re, um, a rearrangement of the album using the NES chip, um, the NES sound chip, but like completely rearranged. It's called Dizzy the Adventurer Nostalgia Mode is the album. Um, the composer is Lyndon Sharp, and this whole thing was arranged by this guy called the Chip Jockey. And we're going to listen to the title screen rearranged right now. Title theme from Dizzy the Adventurer rearranged on the album Dizzy the Adventurer Nostalgia Mode. And um, this was composed by Lyndon Sharp and arranged by Chip Jockey. And hey, honestly, it, it, what were you about to say? I'm sorry. I was so giddy and gung ho. No, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> it gave me something. It made me think of this Newtopia 2 for some weird reason. Like, there was like one very specific note that was like. Sounds like Newtopia 2, like house music or something. <laughs> it but, reminded uh, me of um, Alberto Gonzalez, who did the music to some of the Smurfs games. It's it's very much like kind of punchy in that way. But the, the, I love how yeah. you said that. And my first thought was, what, he did the music for the Smurfs Coleco game? No, no, <laughs> no. Why no. did that? No, Smurfs on the NES and um, Smurfs on the on the Game Boy Color has, has some really, really good soundtracks. Um, but yeah, so... Um, we would rent this one because it was like four games in one thing. And then we discovered that Dizzy was really, really cool. 
but on the back of the cartridge there was a there was a switch and on the cartridge all it would say is put it on mode A but if it doesn't work put it on mode B and that was all it said that's all it said and there was no Nintendo seal of quality <laughs> oh so this is definitely an unlicensed product yeah so what I found was like for the Tengen games um, they actually like te- the company Tengen actually created a chip that would bypass the um um, uh, uh, the the override inside the NES, so it had this thing called the 10 NES lockout chip. It would lock out games that didn't have it. The signal coming from the cart. Now, what uh, what Codemasters did was <laughs> was instead of doing that, what they did was they actually sent a high voltage pulse directly into the chip when the game started up, so that it would be like it would be like essentially fried for a second, not know what to do. Then the game would just load into memory. And so, that's strange. Yeah, and flipping that switch would change it from like would change like the uh, I think it would either change which pin it would go out to, or it would change like how high the voltage would be going. From so basically, the, it was like saying like this accounts for both or multiple models of the NES. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And then um, for the top loader, didn't did not have the lockout chip at all, so it didn't matter. So it just broke your NES when you did. No, it would just it would just play because it would try <laughs> to shoot the pulse into a chip that did without into a pin that wasn't there. So, but I thought that was really interesting. But yeah, I played this game a whole whole lot. I really enjoyed it. I remember I, the animation was really good. I remember I thought the character animation was really cute. It had like a lot of frames to it. Like it would spin around and do flips. Um, now you kind of had me wondering if this was ever featured in Nintendo Power. If I only ever saw it at the store, it should not. I don't think it would have been. So the Dizzy game. Um, was first released on the NES through this thing called the Aladdin um, cartridge expander or something like that. And it was, you would add it on top of the Nintendo and they could play these little miniature carts that were only created by like Codemasters or whatever. This just clicked for me, by the way. Maybe what it is is that maybe this was something I discovered. I saw on like uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly or something. So I feel like I've seen ads for this game. Like, the Quattro six and one, like I have to have seen something. They might have. EGM might have had it. I bet it did. I know Dizzy. Dizzy is like a really like beloved property, and there's a lot of different games of them. And there were like their like their earlier ones were kind of like weird like adventure games or like kind of spin Dizzy Worlds. I'm not sure if that is that spin Dizzy the same thing. Might not. I'm, I'm positive it is spin Dizzy Worlds. I think is the same property, same. Well, you have the internet there. You tell yeah, me. I'll find it later. Anyway, <laughs> for more information on the bonus round and more information on our friend Dizzy, the greatest game in the world, coming soon on the PlayStation 5, Dizzy, the prequel, um, go to rhythmandpixels.com. We'll have links to the artists' band camps and sound clouds and in, in the, the Dwelling of Duels website because you have to check that out. It's very cool. All right, thanks for joining us on episode 23-5 of Rhythm and Pixels. This is our our rental reflections, our memories of uh, of, of a blockbuster video, um, West, West Coast, Coast video. West Coast video. Yeah, that, that was around us. Or Hollywood video, any of those places. This is our, our our little nostalgia episode of going back and renting games and Pernell beating them and me just not knowing what to do. <laughs> and even like the mom and pop, when you think about people yeah. could just back then they could just open their own store. Like a guy could be buying a bunch of VHS tapes and one day go, wait a minute, I've amassed so many VHS yes. tapes, I can open a store. So I talk and about this. I talk about this podcast a lot, but there's a podcast called Retro Knots, and they had a guy on the show. I guess maybe at the end of last year, or his parents owned a rental shop, and so as a kid, 
like he would just play all of the video games that came through the store. Like he had access to everything, like all the Turbo Graphics stuff, all of the Sega stuff, like everything that came in. He just because his parents owned the store, he got first dibs to try everything. And that I'm would like, be a, that, or that's... you set up the half. And so it's a cool thing to think about. Like, yeah, like these these places, some of these are franchises, and some of these are just owned just locally. You know, and that, that's also really can cool. you imagine being his friend and yeah. being like, I want to try this game, and my mom won't buy it. He'd be like. Get your parents to buy it so we can rent it. <laughs> All those games that your radio store did not carry yes. is to carry. Yeah, you know, Chrono Trigger is like way too much. Could you guys like rent? Like, could you guys buy it and then we'll rent. We'll rent it from you for a while. <laughs> I don't know. I think Chrono Trigger was one that radio stores would get because I'm like a main franchise. I'm thinking like the obscure stuff. Oh, the stuff that's hard that, to get. Like, yeah. Blockbuster would have ignored, mm-hmm. but they'd be like, no, no, buy, rent that, get that game. People will play that. Well, to all the video stores that used to exist, we salute you. Um, we do because honestly, this is something worth saying before, since this is the topic itself. But uh, I genuinely miss that era. It's less convenient, yes. It's not. It's it's very inconvenient. It's just flat out. <laughs> I'll just say it. It was a very inconvenient time in regards to like entertainment, but it added volume to it because a large part of why, at least me personally, why I feel so like overwhelmed with options and why I don't even put as much value into games as I used to is because they're all right there. Mm -hmm. Like, if I want to play something new, I can go to my couch and go to a library of thousands of options on each system. Not all together. I mean, each has over thousands of options. Just buy something. Pick it up. Um, If you got, like, PS Now, huge library of games. Xbox Game Pass, library of games. Like, you're just... Options are infinite. Back in the day, though, you went to that video store, your options were what they had in stock. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of rolled the dice. Maybe yeah. Chrono Trigger won't be there this time, and you're stuck getting the uh, lesser RPG. It was that way with movies, too, man. Like, uh, as a family, we would go be like, all right, well, all right, dad's going to go. He's going to buy some popcorn and some ice cream and, and get that new movie that just came out, you know? And, and he'd come back and be like, they didn't have it. So I got, you know, whatever, again, like Time Cop. So let's watch Time Cop again. <laughs> we were going to buy, I was going to rent Time Cop, but you don't have any copies of Time Cop. So instead I got, you know, you know, an optical meter made or something. Yeah, something weird. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyway, if you have any crazy topic suggestions for us, or if you have any track suggestions, or um, if you just want to say hello, you know, if you want to be a friend, that's cool. Just send us an email. Rhythmandpixels at hotmail.com. And if you'd like to see a full track listing of all of our episodes and access to all of our episodes and just more about what we're doing, go to the website. Rhythmandpixels.com. And to go back to something you just said, actually, if you want one of that thing, the email to be something about your rental reflections, that would be actually really awesome. Yeah, I'd like be to hear what you guys rented and played. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe this one should be our next... Uh, no, I, no, actually, for our next uh, live stream, I, have, I want to bring that up with you later, so I have an idea for that one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so... So definitely, yes, yeah, send us an email about that. I'd love to hear about your stories. And if you want to reach out to us on um, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's Rhythm and Pixels. Um, yeah, tell us about yourself. Tell us about the games that you used to rent and enjoy playing. And share some of the music from those, too. We'd love to love to see that. Um, yes. Go to YouTube.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. Um, there we have a 24 uh, seven live stream of 8-bit and 16-bit classics. It's called Rhythm and Pixels Radio. And if you are a supporter on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rhythm and Pixels, at the highest uh, levels, you, you get a, a personalized message or your own personalized message. 
played on the radio station in rotation. Um, hopefully it's not playing too often, but right now we have a few. And that's very cool. So yeah, patreon.com slash Rhythm and Pixels. You can support us there. You get access to prequel episodes every week. You get access to a live stream recording of our episode once a month. And we like to give everybody a special shout out at the end of every episode. This is like to thank that Nick Walker, The Last Regan, Mike Myers, Sonic Medley, Taco, Harold Howard, David Taylor, Reinhardt Selkova, Andreas Merlberg, Dan Lauten, Phantom Jest, Steve Miller, The Autistic Gamer 89, Cameron Worma, Christopher Shenstrom, Bobby Arson from One Up Funk, Wicked Sephiroth, Carlos Kung Fu Carlito from the Heroes 3 podcast, Michael Bridgewater from the Forever Sound Version podcast, who was just on last week's episode about the C64, and Brian Pitt. Thank you all very much for your continued support of our little podcast. It's very much appreciated. Hmm. You guys are fantastic individuals, and don't be strangers to communicate with us. I mean, heck, I think at this point, I feel like we read your names off the dump at the point in the episode, like, I practically know you. So, yeah. write to us. Talk yeah, to us about your family now. And, and in fact, we're probably married. I think we're married to all of them. That's, That's kinda, very complicated. Yeah. And the tax situation, don't even want to talk about it. It's very complicated, but it is all absolutely 100% true. And legal. <laughs> and legal. Anyway, thank you everybody for your support of the show. We got some more fun topics coming up uh, this month, and um, we'll announce our live streamed episode very soon. So thanks for listening. My name's Rob Nichols. And I'm Purnell. Have a good week. And remember, oh my God, this I'm, this might be one of the weirder ones, but it's just something that came <laughs> to mind actually during this episode record. So um, as you know, we've talked about this. It feels like it's always related to this topic, how we're dealing with uh, current events and people are pretty much developing or building ideals and concepts of that situation based on the news they read. Um, however, that news is coming from so many sources, so many different points of entry to your brain that it could likely be tailored in a way that may not be the most, you know, reasonable, not the most sound. It might be tailored in a way just to get into your head and make you follow a narrative. So... My main thought has been, if you, you want to stay informed, stay apprised of current events. But at the same time, try to do what you can to search for that same information from multiple sources. Why do I say that? Because it is harder for multiple sources to keep weird facts or not facts, quote unquote, straight, that they're all writing different things. But if you read multiple sources, provide information that's fairly similar across the board, you can get a pretty decent idea of what the actual facts are in the environment based on what's available knowledge. That's kind of similar to when we talk about video game reviews. If you want to learn about how a game is and like certain aspects of the game, read multiple reviews. Don't just read one because even though this guy might like it and this guy might not like it, they might technically talk about some of the same stuff, which will give you an informed approach or opinion on what the game has, and then you determine for yourself, this is a game you like. Well, same with current events. <laughs> so, uh, weird, possibly rambly, but hopefully the intent of what I was trying to convey came across and take it, it sleazy. As a guy who just watched The Good Place, <laughs> take it sleazy. 
I love that shit.